Hi everyone, welcome back to the Media Mates podcast. My name's Ralph Tucker. Each week I'll chat to somebody I've met from my career in and around the media industry. All of them have such great stories to tell. I'm not Michael Parkinson or Andrew Denton, but I do enjoy chatting to interesting media people about where they've been, where they're headed next, and everything else in between. My guest today is Michael Packey, who's the Canberra Bureau Chief for Macquarie Media. Michael's been working in the Sydney commercial radio scene for over two decades for stations 2GB and 2UE. He's also worked in TV for Channel 7 and Sky News. We chat about how he managed to rise through the ranks, the rapidly changing news cycle, and why he thinks Malcolm Turnbull will be Prime Minister for a long time to come. Michael Packey, welcome to the Media Mates podcast. Thanks, Ralph. You're currently the Canberra correspondent for, I believe it's now called Macquarie Media. It's for Macquarie Media. So we take in 2UE and 2GB, which is a bit weird. In the old days, it was just uh, only 2UE in Sydney. Uh, but now we, you know, we're on 2GB as well. The only difference is uh, once the bureaus merged as when the stations merge, is that we've now got three people in the Canberra Bureau. Before it was only just two, and we were covering the whole network. Now we've got three to cover the whole uh, network, and uh, I think that that's uh, made it a bit easier. But it is different not having the competition anymore uh, in Canberra between GB and UE. How do you find things now that you guys are the only ones at a story yeah. from a commercial standpoint in radio. Yeah, look it, it is it is different. Um and from I mean I can talk from a Canberra point of view basically you just reprioritize the way you do your stories, you decide what stories you're going to do for the day and chase those up pretty heavily in terms of reaction and all the rest of it. I suppose in the old days when um, there was competition, old days, what was it less than a year ago yes. <laughs> before the merger, um we would you know probably run around to a lot more stories because obviously let's be serious it wasn't just about getting the story it was about competition and getting the mic flag out there as well mm. so you probably would run around to a few more stories some of them you think oh, do we really need to be here are we just here because 2gb is here are we and 2gb would have said are we here just because 2ue is here type of thing um, whereas these days i suppose what's happened with the merger we look at the suite of stories that are around we see what we can cover um, the fact that there's three of us we stag- stagger the days out a bit more so we're covering more hours of the day rather than just concentrating on that, uh, um, you know, uh, let's say breakfast through to drive. We're just doing a little bit more of the day and that means we can chase a bit more breakfast stuff and all that rest of it. So do you think the quality then has improved then with the coverage? Oh, look, yeah, probably to a certain extent. Um, I think the news bulletins um, are probably a bit stronger now across both stations um, because, you know, 2GB can now use the rest of the network. Um, for us, from a Canberra point of view, we can get to more stories or we can chase up more stories, whereas before maybe we were running around to a lot more stories but then failing to do a lot more of the follow-up because we're just spreading ourselves too thin. Um, so basically the dynamic is changed. So the fact that it's merged, yeah, you do miss the competition. There's no doubt about that. But even when there was competition, the newsrooms were shrinking at both places. Yeah. So you were you were stretching yourself thin to do a lot of the stuff that you wanted to do. How does it work from a programming point of view? Who gets to do what stations? You mentioned there's three of you there. Yep. Is there any assigned stations or mm. is it whoever's available at whatever time for whichever program? Essentially, I, as my role in, Cam, in, in the Canberra Bureau, um, I 
do most of the crosses. Um, okay. So and the um, and my colleagues Olivia Leeming, Stephanie Boris handle more more of the new stuff. Um, I do some of the new stuff as well, but they also do some crosses if they've been following a story in particular. But I offer more of that. Um, the overall analysis of what's been going on across the board. Admittedly, since the merger, 2GB is your priority. If it's you're talking about Sydney, yes. 2GB is your priority over 2UE. Um, that's the way it is. Um, but it's worked out pretty well up until now. Who worked that out? That 2GB was the priority. That, that was we were told that that's the way. Once the merger happened, that that's the way it was going to work in terms of news and programs. That 2GB is the uh, is obviously seen as the harder news station, and obviously has a greater f- uh, focus on politics. So from our point of view, you de- you definitely would cross to 2GB over 2UE. You would do 2UE if 2UE and 2GB wanted to cross at the same time. You do your 2GB cross, and then you'd follow it up with the 2UE cross. Okay. But it, to be honest with you, from a Sydney point of view, it has worked. It has worked. Like very rarely has there been a clash when both stations have wanted to cross at exactly the same time. And I think that both producers on programs at both stations have uh, generally worked it out that that what that, about what about work. from a national standpoint yep. when there is something huge going down and then you've also you've yep. got three AW in yep. the mix and yep. you've got four B C also in the mix and, and then 6PR. I think six PR in yep. Perth. Yep. So So that does become a little bit more difficult um, and you do have to manage it. Um, and we got the biggest example of that was the last leadership coup uh, where you had um, Malcolm Turnbull and uh, Tony Abbott contest for the leadership in September and that was a huge night um, where everyone wanted crosses. It was 2GB, 2UE, 3AW, right. not so much 4BC because they were taking the 2GB programs. Okay. Um, and 6PR because of the time differences, we were able to work around 6PR. Um, but definitely it was a bit of a challenge between 2GB, 3AW and 2UE. We did work it out. There were some times where I would take some of the crosses and if another station, whether it be 3AW or 2UE, wanted to cross at the exact same time, then someone else in the Bureau did that cross. Okay. All right. Let's go back in our little time machine. Mm. The first time we met, I think was in 1995, yeah. when- at- you were working at 2GB then in for- In programs. Yes, for um, Peter Anderson at that yeah, stage. Peter Anderson. <laughs> was, that, um, was that your first foray into radio? It was a couple of years before that. So okay. I um, I did my- I've Actually, so I finished my teaching degree because, I mean, I wanted to always work in communications, but when I finished my HSC, didn't really get the marks to do a communications degree, which is, you know, almost as much as being a doctor or something, something yep. ridiculous. Um, so I did a t- my teaching degree to ha- just do something and it was obviously something that I also wanted to do. Um, but while I was teaching, uh, doing the teaching degree, um, I discovered community radio. Okay. So, um, and I did a bit of that. A fair Where bit was that, that at? That was 2RDJ FM in Burwood because I did okay. my teaching degree uh, at Australian Catholic University in Strathfield was their campus. So in Burwood had this um, local radio station or community radio station and I did a bit of stuff there. And I, I probably got overly involved in that community radio stuff. Which I, Did I, you get that mentality of the community radio mentality? Well, which is just yeah, like think, you think your stuff's the hottest well, stuff in town? Well, at that stage, um, that station, 2RDJFM, did have a strand of programming um, 
that was fairly successful for that for where it was um for its coverage area, which was the inner west, and it was all of that. Um, they were doing a lot of the dance music and all that sort of stuff, right. which then stations like Today FM and ninety six point one FM, The Edge, and all those, and Nova eventually started adopting more of. So I was more involved in um and in that stage when I was doing the community radio stuff, I wasn't really involved in the programming side of it. I actually was more involved in the um. Um, the sales and management side of the right. radio station. And it was just interesting, you know, um, the hardcore committees that exist in some of these community radio stations and all the rest of it. So I, I probably put too much energy in that, but I really enjoyed it at the time. Um, after I finished my degree, um, I then started doing, I looked for work experience. So in a commercial environment. So because I was obviously interested in news, <coughs> I, um, did work experience here at 2UE and also did some work experience at 2GB. Now, it was quite interesting because back in 1993, 2UE was the dominant station. Dominant station, number one. There was Jones at breakfast, Laws in the morning. It was like a massively intimidating environment to be in. And so I came in and did some work experience here. Now, I remember my first bit of work experience was just simply to do some panel operating. Right. Um, that's all it was. Just well, wow. And so, and um, I, 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 you know, I worked around the station in terms of like, um, you know, worked in the various departments, did a bit of work experience in the newsroom programs, production and all that. But at the end of it, there was no, obviously- There was no, no job. There was no job. There was nothing in it. In it the following week, I'd organised my work experience at, um, at 2GB and the whole 2GB work experience was essentially the whole week in programs. I was, okay. you know, the kid that was, you know, was put in the um, the chair, so I'll just sit here and watch what they do. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, the weird thing about it was um, I finished that week and they offered me some casual work. Okay. But 2GB was absolutely struggling at the time. Oh, it was low rent back then, wasn't it? Was, it? And, you know, I remember at the time the station was owned by Wesley Mission. Yes, that's it correct. Was, it was owned by Wesley Mission. It just had been sold. Um, it had gone through that purge by, I think it was owned by the Fairfax family and they had to sell it and, yeah. you know, the network had just, you know, disintegrated and, you know, whatever. It was It was just a shell. Yeah. But the bottom line is they offered me some casual work and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to take it, obviously. It's an in. Was that on program? It was initially? on programs, answering the, just doing the phones, doing open line. So essentially, um, it, after a while, I um, started working seven days a week because I, I was casual, but I was so into it and enthusiastic well, about well, it. I was just so, um, I couldn't believe that I'd had a job in a Sydney station, even though GB was struggling. I had this job in a Sydney station and all I, I know all I was doing was answering the phones, but it was to me, it was like, wow, I'm in a metro market. So you didn't I, have to ply your trade no, like so many which others I did. Who I went, did went to the country. I did, yeah, I did that a couple of years later. But so I pretty much spent um, most of my time in programs. So essentially, it was Monday to Friday, my job was simply to do the phones for. Um, Peter Anderson in the morning, yep. um, who was, you know, the former New South Wales police, police minister. minister. Yeah. yeah, And that's what was going on at, at 2GB. And he was a lovely bloke. I rem- he's a, he was absolutely a nice, nice bloke. But obviously someone that never done broadcast before all of a sudden being put into this broadcast position. So that was a ch- – but I worked with some really good people like Lyndall Sutton. She yes. was like – Lyndall Sutton was a classic. But, you know, Lyndall Sutton was famous for a contacts book. Yes. You know, her famous contact book. But 
you know, she was a great mentor for me, um, Lyndall Sutton, and some, and some. There was obviously other people that had come through the station. So I was doing phones for Peter Anderson, then working in the afternoons. Um, so. Uh, in those days, even at 2GB, there was a fair few producers on that morning show. So all I was doing was just the phones and that was my job. Yep. And then with afternoons, it was just Lyndall and me. So I was like, I did the phones and it was a bit of an AP assistant producer. And at the time, I forgot who was doing afternoons. Was it I think, like John Harker or something? It could have been John Harker was doing Drive. So I was working with people like Clive Galea. Yes. <laughs> like- Clive was a great man and he always had time for young people. And I really enjoyed working with him, but he was very, very old school. Very old school. And Normie Lipson. Norm Lipson, the Norm, angry ant. Yeah. yeah angry. So there was all these sorts of people that you worked with. And and so Monday to Friday, essentially, I was doing phones. Then on weekends, I was doing Midnight to Dawns. I was working. I forgot what his name is. Oh, what's his name? I can't, I've, no, I've lost no, it. No, no, it's not. We were talking about in the era of like Peter Hand and Rocket, no, Rod no, Pointer no, and no, those no. guys. Yeah, it was Rod Pointer. <laughs> uh, Rod Pointer, was, and, he was a and, funny man and too. And Cameron Stewart. Yes, That's I remember a, these guys. Yeah. So also, it was basically weekends, who would want to work on a weekend? No one. So they said, oh, do you want to work on the weekend? You can produce the show. And okay. Think, so I thought, yeah, this is a good opportunity to actually produce as well as answer the phone. So it was so, like lining up interviews for them and all yeah, of that. Yeah, doing kind of all stuff. that sort of stuff overnights and you know, and I would get in, you know, super early and go th- in those days I remember you could go to the local seven eleven and you'd get the country edition of the Sunday papers. Yes. And so you'd go through all those, you know, get the stories out and um, knowing that it would be hours on end before the this the Metro editions would yes. come out. And there was and the internet wasn't really it was only still evolving and so it was still dial up and so you wouldn't even bother using it. Yeah. So you, you you were using, you were relying on AAP and the papers and the internet was just there. Like, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't being updated the way it is now and the whole bit. So, yeah. you know, so, and you were relying on the callers and all that. And look, you know, that was a great learning experience. But then after doing that for almost two years, it was fairly grueling. I was going to say you would have just about been burnt out yeah, by that. It stage. was. You were, and and then there was then there was the old. Then I remember the days when you know you don't because I was still casual the whole way through. Right. So you know, um, so you would there was sometimes you do um, you'd finish off the midnight to dawn shift, right, and then you'd be panelling the garden clinic at six o'clock for two hours. <laughs> Mate, that was back in the day when 2GB was pretty much on the bones of its backside and anybody who turned up at the radio station got to start doing something. Yeah, so, you know, it was just like you just I'm just thinking about what I used to do and a lot of us used to do and you think, did we actually do all that? Well, the newsroom back then also was was pretty much twice the size, and you yeah, had completely. people that were the average age in the newsroom at that stage when I first started, when I was doing work experience, and then like you got mm. paid casual gigs. The average age would have been thirty plus. Mm, that's now right. these days, it's about looking, twenty plus. Yeah, twenty one or twenty two, <laughs> yeah. which yeah. Is, just seems ridiculous yeah. because. Those experienced people that were in the newsroom yep. at that stage, they just taught you so much. Exactly. I remember when the 2GB newsroom existed. This is even when, as you say, 2GB was running on more than a smell of an oil, less than a smell of an oily rag. There was um, someone, I forgot, John Roberts, his yes. name was. John Roberts. He used to record the BBC. He, his job was to sit there and record the BBC, <laughs> listen to the voice of America take Richard Arnold. Yes. Well, Richard Arnold was still at TGB before he came to TUA. 
And like that was his job. And it was to write all the just focus on international. Well, that be- was his job. Well, because you had an hour news bulletin, right? That's right. The news hour at midday. Yes. So um, with Alan Baskin. Alan Baskin, who's currently in Adelaide. Adelaide. Yeah. Um, so it was like, but then it was, you know, it was sad there because like um, I remember that um, one of my, f- I obviously wanted to work in the newsroom after doing a long, working a fair bit of time. That was going to be my question. Yeah. How did you find your way in there? Well, I mean, I would just go in there and, you know, what I used to do when I was doing Midnight to Dawns, I used to write um, scripts out of the newspapers like CCs, yep. and I used to just, because I just did them on, um, well, then it was called Basis before we okay. moved on to News Boss. It was called the Basis system. So you would just write the three three pars and just do two versions of each and then give them to the Midnight to Dawn newsreader. Yes. or um, uh, Who was generally a cadet back yeah, in those that's days. Right. Yeah, one of them who's now works in Canberra in the ABC, the very lovely Clarissa Thorpe. And um, I just used to write, pump out the CCs when, you know, you had all your callers up. And, you know, you just check, say, Mary, are you there? Rod will be with you in a minute. Yeah. And then the little buzz <laughs> thing, I remember in the old 2GV thing where you used to, the, the light used to flash. Yeah, the lights it, used to flash. Then it used to go. Well, because the phone system was like from the 1950s. It hadn't been replaced. So you that's the way I would do stuff. And then, you know, and I remember that in the days when I was doing the Midnight to Dawns and on weekends, you then used to get people like Stuart Bocking would read Breakfast. Yes. I remember when Stuart Bocking was reading Breakfast at GB. Didn't he come from like 2GN yeah, or something yeah, he did. and then from, was from doing Coast. that on the weekends? Yeah, yeah Central, Central Coast. Coast. That's right. Yeah. Um, so he used to come in and he used to just, you know, obviously you weren't recording audio because you couldn't, that was, wasn't feasible at the time, but that's how I did it. And then I remember one day they had no one to cover New Year's Eve. This is one year they had no one else to cover the New Year's Eve um, fireworks. Right. And so I just said, okay, I'll do it. I've never done it before, but I'll do it. So they helped me write a voiceover, my first voiceover and all the rest of it. Have you still got that? I, I don't know, probably somewhere. Yeah, so that was it. So I did that. But then it wasn't long after uh, the newsroom at 2GB shut down. Yeah, that was a terrible day. I remember being in there and Patrick Burns, who was a yep. hardened journalist hardened, at that stage. Yes absolutely lost his stuff in the middle of the newsroom <laughs> yeah. and I will never forget that for yeah. as long as I live. It was just an extraordinary day. Somebody well, like me who was yeah. just a casual like yeah. you, we were yeah. both coming through the ranks at about the same time yeah. and then all of a sudden John Singleton had bought the radio station yeah. the, the year before yeah. and then within months. A lot of it was gutted because it was he needed to start making money. Yeah, The station was just losing money and it was – deeply in debt and all the rest of it. Um, the funny thing about it, when the newsroom closed, I was um, doing my, a country gig because right. I'd left 2GB at that. By, by 1996, I'd left GB because, I mean, I remember the PD at the time was Les Thompson. Yes. And his Czech-born wife. Now, she wasn't involved, but uh, there were the ads that he used to do for the Czech tours. Les uh, Thompson. Les Thompson. Um, so he said, oh, well, if you want to work in the newsroom, this was like late 1995. By that time, I would have met you. Yeah. It was early 96. He said, you're going to have to go into the country. This is 1995, 96, where you still had to go and do an apprenticeship. Yes. Almost, you know, um, if you wanted to like get back into a new station, we weren't, the days of Twitter still weren't here. The internet was still in its infancy. Yeah. You know, and all that sort of stuff wasn't happening. So radio news was still big time. Oh, you used to still get, you know, press releases on the fax machine. That's right, exactly. And, you know, email wasn't really at its its strongest at that early stage. And, yeah, like I say, wires 
the fax machine and the they, newspaper used yeah, to be where you sourced your stories sources. because pay TV, I think, only just kicked off yeah. at, at that stage. And, and, yeah. and, and all it was, and at that, that stage still, Sky wasn't doing what it does now. No. And so essentially what happened then, I went to Mildura where there was um, a maternity leave that had come up. And um, oh, no, no, not a maternity leave, an annual, a long service leave. Sorry, right. A long service leave had come up. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to take it. I've got um, some of my, I had some of my cousins that uh, live in the area. So I had a bit of family around there. Okay. So it was easy. Um, so I just went to Mordura, did that long service leave and learned a bit, a fair bit because at the time that that happened, uh, we had the Port Arthur Massacre. And some of the residents from Mildura, I think two people from Mildura were killed Yes, in that thing. So all of a sudden there was demand from places like 3AW, who was a network. That the station I was at was 3MA, which was an affiliate of Southern Cross right. and 3AW. And so you were doing filing reports for them. And that was, you know, a big deal. And it was also where you learnt you had to, you only had a couple of news bulletins a day. They had to be all local. There was only X amount. So many stories that you could really do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so you had to chase stuff and all that sort of stuff and, you know, do interviews and, you know, get to know, you know, local councillors, local um, fruit growers, all that sort of stuff. So you did all of that sort of thing. And then after that three-month stint, I was offered a full-time job because the person that went on long service leave decided not to come back. Okay. But I didn't take that. I just I thought, you know what, I think I've done all. Over the three months, I think I've done all I could do yeah. because I've also come from the, the 2GB experience where I was doing so much from a cap city. So going into the Mildura um, side of things, even though I got to, you know, practice, you know, doing some news reading, writing scripts and all that, I, I felt as though I wasn't really. You were a big fish there in the small Yeah, pond. like you were, I wasn't really <laughs> doing much anymore with it. So I did the three months, came back to Sydney. By the time I came back to Sydney, the newsroom at 2GB had closed. So that option had already Yes, it had gone. gone. 2UE was already a pretty fat newsroom um, at the time, and a lot of the people that had left, even 2GB, some of them came over here. Obviously, a lot of, the, a lot of them went to 2WS. Yes, that's Who right. took up the contract for 2GB News. Um, so I just went back into programs at 2GB. And, um, but this time around, I was working on um, Drive um, and uh, the Money Talks show with David okay. Koch. So, um, and that was an interesting, that's, where I really, you know, I'd say more brought my broadcast career really probably took Kicked off. Kicked off, yeah. Yeah. So I was doing um, the Drive show then was with John Harker, um, who done was doing Drive, and he was being produced by Clive Galea and Kristen D. She really haven't heard what's happened to Christian. Yes, he did a program as well, didn't he? Youth, youth talk, program or something? Youth talk. I remember when he was given, because he was considered a real up-and-comer. Yes. And um, I don't know what has happened to him. Anyway, we'll find out. So, Somebody will let us know. Um, so he he was a real up and cover at the time. He was um produce assistant producing Clyde, but then he was given his own show, Youth Talk, where he did some good stuff. Like he actually went out and, you know, did stuff on rave parties when, you know, in, in those areas, in that era, you know, there was a real big rave party scene. And was, oh, Anna Wood died. Anna Wood died, and there was all that sort of stuff. So he went and did all that sort of all that sort of stuff. And he he did about almost a year worth of youth talk. And I remember the effort that he was putting into that show, which was massive. And you know what? In those days, that show was done on reel to reel. You know, it was done on reel to reel. Those massive reel to reel. Massive reel to reels. And remember, the, remember that production area? 
Yes. In that uh, 2GB and like, you know. And they were almost kings of the uh, yeah, and the, of, of the studio. Like yeah. Rob Locke was back Rob in there Locke, and Glenn yep. Phillips. Glenn Phillips. And, you know. Um, um, the only thing I, you know, you're still scared of is the bulk eraser. <laughs> People would know what we're talking about. Yeah. So that was the technology back in the that day. That was. And he would splice that show and the whole bit, you know, and then it would go to air mm. on a Sunday not, a Sunday at 11 o'clock in the morning. So I was doing that and then I did the phones for Kosh, for David Kosh, who was doing the Money Talk show, and that was on air. It had been on air for like ages. And, yeah. two, you know, 2GB still does a money show now, but now with Ross Greenwood. But it was then that. David Kosh needed someone to help him on Sunrise because okay. Sunrise then was just simply a news show, one-hour news show, didn't rate very well, wasn't the juggernaut that it is now, but he needed someone to help him out, produce his finance bits for that show Monday to Friday and for Sunday as well as cover some of his radio stuff. So he had a job going at his own at his own office, media, yeah. own office and his company I, and I took that up while keeping while remaining a casual at 2GB on weekends. Okay, and then you were still there on the weekends. When did the full-time move happen to Channel 7, your first foray into 1996. Well, that was basically all with David. Okay. So it was, uh, that would have been towards the end of 96, probably 97, where um, what I was essentially doing was um, I moved across to David's company, which was essentially you were based at Channel 7 okay. the whole time, yep. where you would, and then you would go into David's office in Gordon. That's where he had his office. Right. The thing was first chats would then it moved to Gordon. You'd go there in the afternoon and do a lot of the production, uh, preparation stuff. Yeah. So you'd go in in the morning for sunrise. You'd produce two finance segments, which were five minutes each, you know, and that taught me just another skill. And, you know, you taught me about TV where, and, you know, had a right, you know, you were writing more for TV. You had to, you know, learn the language of TV, which is a bit different to radio. Yeah. And, and the way, you know, and, and you had to make sure that, you know, the stuff was done for uh, David and it was all ready to go. So he would literally walk in. And the first thing he would do in those days, we used to do um, a news bulletin for ANSET. Yes. You know, ANSET. Oh, goodness. <laughs> it's just, I feel ancient even just talking about it. Um, so we did. So you had to have that news bulletin, re- his finance spot ready to go for an- for the ANSET news bulletin. So that would be recorded. Then you'd use it for the Sunrise thing. And then you'd find out. And then um, in between doing Sunrise, you'd be doing radio. So I'd be doing crosses to 2GB because 2GB had finance crosses because he was on air, David yeah. was on air. So I would do the early one, David would do the late one. Um, if, there was a, if, if there was a news story, a financial news story, because David was on air, I would do the voice reports. Okay. So I would just cover, and that's how I got into doing finance reporting. And you learnt about doing something a bit different. Yeah, so that's, so I was, I was basically combining radio with the TV for many, many years. Doing the news and then getting better at the news, you were on mostly on the, the weekends? Yeah. Then what happened was um, essentially I then, at first, 2GB's news didn't was still coming out of 2WS. That's right. So yeah. on weekends I wanted to keep a hand in radio. So I would panel – I took on the panelling of the garden clinic on Saturday and Sundays. Okay. So on Saturdays and Sundays because I, I wanted to be still part of the – I, I just loved radio, and I, I while I enjoyed what I was doing Monday to Friday, I just still wanted to be part of be that. part of and and two GB had been so much part of my life up until then, so I took on 
just a panel. I was panelling the garden clinic for three hours, um, Saturday and Sunday, the six till nine uh, with the Rosses. So I was just going there. So it was also good to do because it was a way of saying, well, you might be on air, but it brought you back to reality thinking that, you know, panel, you've got to, you know, being a panel operator and all the rest of it is just as important. And in those days, we weren't using RCS and Maestro and all these other systems that are up and running now. We were using carts. Yes, carts. And the commercials were on carts and you had to time out and, like, you still got to do it now. But, I mean, I loved carts compared to now because at least it gave you a lot more control over what to do and when to play your ads and all that sort of stuff. So I was doing that. So then by 98... The newsroom had uh, the reopened newsroom, back in uh, 2GB. Yeah, re- reopened back at 2GB in 98 because 2WS had been bought by Clear Channel, the Americans, yes. and they doubled the price for providing news to 2GB and 2CH. So essentially, um, I think for instead of paying double the price to Clear Channel, they decided to reopen their own newsroom. And so they did that. Um, they reopened their own newsroom and essentially um, – on Saturdays and Sundays, I would uh, work in the newsroom. And um, in those days, I would just edit report. Occasionally I'd read, but I didn't care. I, I didn't mind just editing and no. you know, reporting. And the newsreader was David Walters, who's Aaron Ma's husband, the news director at 2GB. Yes. So he was reading, and so I was essentially editing for him. Eventually down the track, when Alan Jones signed with... 2GB. Back in 2000, 2001. Things changed again because obviously there was a whole influx of 2UE people that came over to 2GB and then the ratings juggernaut took off when Ray Hadley also signed and there was a whole heap of other people and the whole lineup completely changed. You then went down to Canberra after yep. doing a whole lot of uh, weekend work yeah. at, at 2GB. Yeah. How did you find that, that, so that experience? I, so basically after, you know, I finished up with David um, Kosh in about 2001, uh, early 2001, and um, GB did not have a Canberra Bureau. It, its Canberra Bureau was outsourced. Uh, it was outsourced to 2CC. So right. 2CC had space in the gallery, uh, in the press gallery, and um, basically what 2CC is, they had a reporter dedicated to cover federal politics for 2GB, and then they had another reporter that would do their local news, and okay. it would all come out of the press gallery. So 2GB wanted to change that. They wanted to reclaim their space in the press gallery yep. and um, beef up their presence in Canberra. I'd expressed an interest in wanting to do a bit of political reporting just to, you know, change it up a bit. I'd done finance for such a long time. I'd done the TV thing and all the rest of it. So it was a case of let's do something different, you know, just get other skills under my belt. So they said, okay, why don't you go to Canberra? Because I was already very much part of the 2GB family then. Yes. Um, Even though, even when everything, the you know, we we used to call it the uh, 2UE takeover of 2GB. Yes. at that time. So I did. Um, I went and um, I went to Canberra and set up their bureau. It took about a year to do. And that required, there was a lot of work there because 2CC had to go back to their own premises in Canberra. So 2CC was no longer doing their local news out of the 2GB bureau. 2GB's Canberra bureau was very strictly a federal political bureau. Yes. So I got that. So I essentially. And you started that with. James Boyce, if I'm not James mistaken. Boy- James Boyce was one of the um, 
the first people. It was me and James Boyce. Because he then obviously went on to work for yeah. Tony Abbott. Tony Abbott, that's yeah. right. He went to Channel 10 before that. Yeah. And then um, I actually went to 2UE. So James Boyce started with me, went to 2UE, then after 2UE went to Channel 10. Yeah, so we got the Bureau going. There was a lot of work to be done there because it was a miss. The Bureau, the equipment was antiquated, so they needed to replace equipment. Um, it just needed a completely a technical, re- a technical refurb. So all of that stuff I saw through. But that then led my move to 2UE because what ended up happening was at 2GB in the Canberra Bureau, while it was great and I was sort of like in charge, you know, in charge of that bureau, I just felt that I shouldn't have been in charge of that bureau at the time in the sense that I didn't feel like I'd really had any uh, proper training um, to be in charge of a bureau like that. And I felt as though I needed a lot more to learn. Uh, A lot of it I was flying blind and essentially 2UE were absolutely slaughtering us. Oh, because you had Alison Carabine running the show. Yeah, exactly. So Alison Carabine was running the show at 2UE. She was slaughtering, completely and utterly slaughtering me, even though we were trying. She obviously had been there for so long. Built up the contacts, the and, rapport, and, and, the whole and thing. Also knew, sorry, and she also knew where she was going, where, where to go to in terms of to find people and all the rest of it. We, we, we're... I was learning my way, and so was James. We're both almost wasn't the blind leading the blind, but you know, we there was a lot of learning on the go, which I felt for a station like TGB, which now is basically on its way to number one, well and truly. Yeah, I just thought, well, you know, we should be. I, I need to be. I need to learn a lot more. So making that decision to go to TUE was purely just to work under Alison Carabine, yeah. just to learn. I guess learn yeah. the, the the ropes of Canberra, exactly. which is a, it's an entirely different Complete, beast. I would imagine completely. But Alison Carabine needed a number two person in her bureau because at that stage it was only Alison and a number two person, and she asked. She said, you know, would you be interested in coming across? I go, yeah, but at 2GB, I'm in charge. And she said, she goes, yeah, but with me and at 2UE, you'll actually probably learn more. It might have been a, at the time sounded a bit arrogant coming from her. Yeah. But the bottom line, she was right. She'd been there already for about 12 or 13 years. The other thing is, and the big selling point for me for making the switch across to UE then was UE was still a network. Yeah. And 2GB wasn't a network. So, and even though UE had lost its mantle as number one station, it was still pulling eights and nine shares at the time. And also 3AW was a dominant Our station. House, yeah. 4BC was doing pretty well. <coughs> and, um, you know, 5AA in Adelaide was part of the network, as was 6PRs. And also 2UE still had all of the regionals. And GB was simply a powerhouse in Sydney, but had none of the network infrastructure. So... That and the fact that um, TUA and Southern Cross were offering me more money to move across, which I thought, well, why not? I'm, I'm gonna, I'll get paid more and learn more. Okay, I'm moving to a number two position. In the end, I think I thought it was the right decision at the time. And Alison Carabine, she's a tough taskmaster. There's no doubt about that. And it's the best way to learn, right? I learned a lot from her. I really did learn a lot from her. Well, the thing was is that you were the Bureau Chief at 2GB, but you also had a very young Rachel Stevens working yep. with you who yep. was an outstanding yep. talent yep. back Completely. in the day. But yep. ultimately it was the two of you yep. up against the powerhouse of Alison Carabine right. and whoever her offsider was at the time. It might have even been Zoe Alabone. It was Zoe Alabone and stage. then eventually became James Boyce. Because yeah. James um, left GB to go to UE because he wanted also to be part of a, a bigger 
network. Um, so he left GB. And so that's when Rachel Stevens came on board. So it was me and Rachel Stevens. And, and me and, and The Punch, as we know, I think we worked hard. And Rachel fa- was fantastic. But in the end, we both also did realise, and I don't think she'd mind me saying this, that we were up against someone who's highly experienced. And You're even, just out of your depth. We really. were out of our depth. And I'm I'm prepared to acknowledge that. Mm. Um, so in the end, it worked out quite interestingly for GB because I got the gig at UE and I just – because James Boyce went to Channel 10. Yeah. So James Boyce finished up at UE, went to Channel 10. I took on James Boyce's job. Mm. So um, Alison said, do you want to come across? And literally at the same time, the punch got a job at 2WS. That's right. So basically- Kind of the was all disbanded anyway. Yeah, very quickly. As far as I'm concerned, 2GB really didn't get its mojo in Canberra after that. What was it like in your two stints? First of all, you had the- end of the or the tail end of the the Howard era mm. and then when you went back after a stint with Sky News mm. coming into the whole labor taking over yeah. how can you compare the, well, the two eras well it's quite interesting because like when I when I started I was still it was the Howard era and um my last election before I went to Sky was um uh, the Howard Latham election and what the, the thing is that what I saw during my period there um, was that there was the level of the level of you, what, what you took for granted was a level of stability. There was yeah. the argy bargy over policy, but generally things were stable. Then my second stint back in Canberra, which was back late two thousand and nine, since till now, um, has been interesting because all of a sudden we've been dealing with leadership speculation and leadership challenges and all that sort of stuff. I have never been as busy as I have, and I never never anticipated things would be as busy as they've been since I've gone back. It started off with the, the December 2009 challenge. So literally, I started back in Canberra for 2UE, but in this time as the Bureau Chief because Alison Carabine had left to yep. go to the ABC. And um, I literally started back within a month already the speculation was swirling that Turnbull's leadership was terminal, opposition leadership. Yes. Was, it was the opposition leader at the time. That that was terminal. It didn't take long when the whole climate change debate flared up, um, creating this frisson in the Liberal Party and Tony Abbott took over, winning the That was election. when the whole, you know, Godwin Gretsch yeah, incident the whole, was happening Yeah, that's right. Then. All of that, everything. <laughs> Turnbull had everything going against him. And Godwin Gretsch probably sealed his fate back in 2009 and um, Tony Abbott won that um, leadership ballot by just one vote. But then it's just been interesting. Then when he won it, the way he – and a lot of people said, oh, this is not going to last. He can't – he's so – he's just not disciplined enough to be an opposition leader. He'll fall over how wrong they were. And so essentially people like Tony Abbott really knew how to – you know, push Labor's buttons on certain issues and just went hammer and tong. And then that's, we that saw- The whole era of the- The Rudd. Rudd Gillard the Rudd, Rudd. That's right. That's exactly right. But what was interesting that in that era compared to when I was first there was, was the Twitter era. Every, Twitter was really starting to become dominant. Yes. Now, my colleague at 2UE back in t- 2009 and into 2010 was Latika Burke, and she was one of the pioneers of using Twitter 
very proficiently. She really embraced it early, knew very, what it was about, yep. and then used it to her own advantage. Completely. And yeah, completely. That it, gave you you guys at two year work massive cred, a massive cred Mate. and also you're able to break a whole lot of stories. Absolutely. We all of a sudden became a go-to bureau and all kudos to Latika Burke for embracing um, Twitter the way she did. I mean, admittedly, when I was in there and I, and I saw what she was doing with Twitter, I mean, I, I was really like, wow, this is unbelievable, the way you're working this and the way uh, you're, you're you're able to – you're getting stories out of So the old school it. way that you would have been taught but, by Carabine yeah, was sort of quickly yeah, out yeah, the window because politicians were using Twitter to their starting advantage. Starting to, starting to. And she was tweeting. definitely mastering it. And, she was ma- and she was one of the few right. in the gallery that was doing it. She was one of the few that was doing it. Um, and she – Essentially, um, she won a, a she won Young Walkley for it, and good honour. She essentially really was behind a lot of that push with Turnbull. So and, did she kind of drag you along in 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 many respects? Even though you were the bureau yeah, chief, yeah, you'd gone from old school, yeah. build up your contacts, yeah. knock on the doors, yeah. do all that kind yeah. of thing, to this whole new social yeah. media explosion. Yeah, exactly, very much so. And I and I mean, I was a late adopter, and I mean, I was even cautioning her a few times. I mean, with what she was doing, and it caused some angst, a little bit in our bureau, but more, you know, here back in Sydney. Well, I guess the air. whole debate was back then is. Do you break a story right. on Twitter or do you break it for your radio station, exactly. which is paying your bills? And that's what we were – that was the big debate. And um, I remember that Clinton Maynard, who was a news director here at 2 at the time, had was constantly having these debates with Latika because what was happening in the Bureau is that Latika would be fed information because she'd built up a nice base of contacts. Right. So she'd be fed information and she'd tweet it and then she'd file the story for the, for the top of the hour bulletin. And I would say – if you're going to tweet, don't tweet so early because all you're doing is you're giving everyone else a chance to follow, jump on the story. Jump on the story because by this time, everyone started following Latika on Twitter around the gallery because she was breaking some of these stories. So that became a real challenge. And uh, but look, I think then Latika and I did come to an agreement. Yeah. Oh, we butted heads a few times about her tweeting stuff before filing it. And I and we came to a decision that we if she wanted to tweet something that she had, tweet it at maybe one minute to the hour or tweet it in a way as a tease. Right. Do a tease tweet, listen to 2UE and we'd link to the website. Correct. Because we knew that 2UE at least would run our story in the network. We weren't sure if the other stations would run it at the same time right. or whatever. So that's the way we did it. And 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 I think and then she saw the benefit of that. Uh, as well. Okay, so she could promote the fact that yeah. she had a big story but also right. promote the radio station. Yeah. So it was a win-win situation. That's right. And for the year and a bit that Latika and I worked together, I learned a lot from her. I think she learned – I'd like to think that she learned stuff from me. She says she did. You know, and we were very two different people, you know, um, in the way we worked. But I made sure that I – th- I think we worked together pretty well. Our bureau, the UE bureau, was absolutely – just humming during that whole period. We were so on top of that whole um, leadership spill with with Turnbull. Latika Burke's work on that was phenomenal. She did some really good stuff. We've just discussed what happened there in the whole Rudd-Gillard-Rudd era. We've had another fascinating year in yep. Australian politics. It's where, the who would ever think year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the Liberals or the Coalition said that they'd never knife an acting Prime yep. Minister and Tony Abbott's gone within two years. Yep. I mean, is that kind of mirroring society in a way that 
we had that stability, as you said, with John Howard for all of those years. Mm. Now it just seems to be, okay, well, the polls are down. Let's get rid of them, get somebody else in, and then it's just repeat. What is behind all of that? I think, look, there's no doubt that the media cycle does play a role. I mean, we have to see things have changed dramatically and very fast. I think that when you think about the time we started, so I started 94, you start end of 93, 94, I started, you started 95. It's not really that long ago if you think about it. Look how fast things have changed. All of a sudden you've got digital television. Um, You've got the ABC now doing live wall-to-wall news with 24 you know, and going to events live and, you know, constant commentary. You got Sky doing the same thing on pay TV. You got the Twitter sphere happening in a big way. Um, you got Facebook. What's next? It can't get any quicker. And the internet compared to when we started, like I told you, like when I was doing Midnight to Dawns back in, you know, 94, you know, you were still relying very heavily on AAP and the newspapers. You really hardly relied on the internet. It was still dial-up. Now you do rely very heavily on the internet as much as any other source. So you've got all these multitude of media and all this multitude of commentary coming out from left, right, and centre, which yeah. you just didn't have before. So there's a lot more analysis of political events and political leaders and their performance. With the TV side of it, it's the live, live, live. And live is easy now for TV because most TV stations, including, and look at what 7 and 9 do, 7 and 9 have become de facto 24-hour news stations. Correct, themselves, rolling coverage, yeah. You know, on everything. But that's because live has become so easy. It's not the days of the 6 o'clock news bulletin anymore on TV and radio would be providing, you know, a lot more of the rolling coverage as much as you could. Now well, you're, see, that's the thing. It's like now it's you can changed. put videos on Twitter and things exactly. like that. People don't actually have to sit down and watch the 6 no. o'clock news exactly. because Brian told me. It's exactly. because they've seen it on their Twitter feed, yeah. on their Facebook feed exactly. because technology has moved that quickly yeah. that we're able to consume news where we want yeah. to consume it exactly. rather than having to be in one place at That's one right. time. That's right, exactly. I mean, I still think radio's is got that great portability about it, but you're absolutely right. But even the way things have changed in radio, like we're encouraged to tweet more now and tweet pictures and all this sort of stuff, yep. which is something else that you've got to do. Sometimes it's a bit hard when you're holding your mic. So I'm just saying that things have changed in that respect. And that contributes to the fact that our leaders probably weren't as stable in their jobs as what they were 10, 15 years ago. That's right, and there's a lot more scrutiny on leaders. So essentially what happened to Tony Abbott was is that he was doing – he did a few, you know, things that may may have not worked out well, but then I think he did a lot of good stuff as well, which maybe is under – is not talked about enough. Um, But because there was that that scrutiny on him – the polls started maybe reflecting that, and yep. you did have these 30 news polls, which Malcolm Turnbull referred to when he uh, launched the Leadership Challenge in September, saying that they were going backwards, that Shorten would be the next Prime Minister and that the Liberal Party couldn't allow that to happen. But it wasn't just the news poll. You had the Reachtel poll, which is now out yes. there. You had the Ipsos poll, which Fairfax does. There's this multitude of polling which had a trend, and that trend was saying the Coalition will lose the next election and Labor will win. Was Peter Credlin put in the position where she became the story. What was with that? I just found that whole Mm. part of it ridiculous. Why was there so much focus? And there never has been Mm. in the history of Australian politics the focus on the Chief of Staff. Yeah, well, the focus was there. And, look, the bottom line is what happened with the Peter Credlin situation is her colleague, is the Liberal MPs. 
and senators. The problem is, is that you had a multitude of Liberal MPs going to Tony Abbott's office when he was PM, wanting advice or wanting to talk to the Prime Minister about certain issues. And anyone, a lot of people you would talk to within the Liberal Party saying she often acted as that barrier. And they got sick and tired of it. Eventually, and that's when the leaking started against her, saying, well, we want to talk to Tony, but Tony isn't listening to us because Peter Credlin's putting this barrier between us and him, who the MP was, and Tony Abbott. So they couldn't, you know, express an opinion to Tony Abbott about what was happening. Without having to go through the gatekeeper first. That's right. And and the bottom line is, is that uh, what ended up happening was, is that as um, MP started getting disenchanted, the ones that couldn't talk to um, Tony Abbott about issues that were being raised in their electorates because there was a gatekeeper in the way. They were starting to do it a lot more publicly. They said, well, if we can't talk about it with the PM, we're going to go to the media. And again, it comes back to that whole... And then the media would say, why why are you doing this? Well, because, you know... Peter Credlin is not, you know, is not allowing us to speak to the PM. And the news is obviously, as we canvassed before, is able to spread a whole lot quicker than, you know, years gone by for something like that. Destabilisation within the ranks might take, you know, days, months, years to mm. to, to actually get out. But yeah. now it's a tweet from an MP and all of a sudden yep. the fire's already burning out exactly. of control. Exactly right. And that's and that's the other thing. That a lot of it is also um, MPs taking control of their media, updating their own Facebook page or... Um, tweeting their own stuff and a lot of the time trying to bypass traditional... It's controlling the message. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, I mean, that I think can also work against them because you do, by the same token, there are questions that need to be asked as well. Malcolm Turnbull, is he all show and no go? No, I don't think so. It, he has had a pretty sweet sort it, of ushering in here. He has, he has, and there's no doubt there's been the media coverage of Turnbull has been a lot, probably a lot more favourable than Tony Abbott was afforded. Um, and as I said before, you know, I think that Tony Abbott did do some good stuff. He had to make some hard decisions. And I actually think that some of Tony Abbott's hard decisions we've seen in recent months with some uh, statistics that have come out of the Bureau of Statistics, like unemployment figures, being now below 6%. Even though those figures have come out while Malcolm Turnbull's been the leader, in the end, the lead-up to those figures, the lead-up to that better unemployment, those better unemployment uh, numbers, was a lot of the stuff that Tony Abbott had done in the lead-up to right. that. So, you know, I think that he, some of the hard decisions on getting the budget at least under control, he has, to, he does have to take some credit for that. And I do think that at times that is that does get missed because let's be, we've got to, do have to be honest about it. Well, Malcolm Turnbull's come in and has his, has got his own team. He hasn't changed that much of what the previous administration no, was doing. No, that's what I was going to yeah. say. He's pretty much come in on a foundation. But he's selling it differently. And selling the message differently. Yeah, selling it differently. Um, I think that people are going to start getting a bit sick and tired of him if he doesn't If he doesn't do a bit more, uh, how would you say? Uh, proactive. Be, and be a bit more proactive in certain media, on certain media outlets. So I think um, he's avoided places like 2GB. Presenters on 2GB are making that known. He hasn't even done 2UE either, which I, you know, I thought that he might have at least, if he wasn't going to do 2GB, I thought he might have done 2UE. But he really seems to have shunned uh, the network. He's only done 3AW once, Neil Mitchell. Um, he does seem to be favouring the ABC at this point in time. And I do think he does need to talk to that 2GB audience. You know, Is it because he's worried? Because he, he seems to get, compared to Tony Abbott, and I'm talking particularly Lee Sales here, yeah. 
a more comfortable yeah, run. It, yeah. Um, you yeah. know, that matey-matey banter with yeah. her when she was yeah. all out for Abbott yeah. and just copped it yeah. grilling no Although, matter what happened. I, I think, look, she, she obviously I think has been a bit stung by that criticism and she's tried to toughen up the interviews um, a little bit in recent, probably in the last month. But, yeah, you are right. I understand that. But I do think that um, Malcolm Turnbull does appear to be doing more of the ABC stuff. He does seem to be um, doing his own stuff, his own media. Yep. And I do think that he does need to talk to other audiences. What will it, be his strongest at the moment, as, as, asset in 2016? No, what, will it, what would it be? Well, what will be the, the main issue that well, we'll be focusing on in 2016? Well, I think we're going to be focusing on the GST and whether or not the GST is going to rise. And if the GST is going to rise, what's, what's the compensation going to be in place? I think what um, Turnbull's got going for him is the fact, and I know this might sound a bit trite, is that he looks prime ministerial. He sounds prime ministerial. He sounds prime ministerial. He's, he looks prime ministerial. I think that that psychologically, I think that that's what he's got going for him. There hasn't and, been a whole lot of change in him from opposition leader yep. to frontbencher right. to now yep. prime minister, yep. whereas Tony Abbott, head kicker, yep. hard ass. Yep. Softened a little yeah. bit in, in opposition, but still able to launch a few broadsides. Yeah. Prime Minister wishy washy. Yeah, that's right. I think that um, he's seen as I think that people like Turnbull are seen a lot more credible than Shorten. That's what I think he'll go, have going for him. The other thing is, they say if they, if they if he sells tax reform right, I think that people will go for it and he will have a mandate. Probably, to, I, I think that he will increase the GST, but I do think that income tax thresholds will come down as compensation. I think pensioners and people on welfare, low to middle income earners, those people will get some sort of compensation. So you think his first budget will be a real test of his leadership? Potentially, yeah. I mean, there is the assumption that he'll go to a, a first budget. I think he will. I don't think there'll be an election until later in 2016. Some people are saying, oh, the election will be in March. I don't think it will be in March. I think that what they're going to do in March is actually present their policies and start selling their policies and start bringing the people across. I just don't think the angst that Labor thought that there was going to be there on it's, issues like yeah. GST and that is just not there because we've been talking about GST now for almost the three months that Malcolm Turnbull's been the, the Prime Minister. The polls are still showing that he's got 60% approval rates. The coalition is six points in front after preferences and would easily win an election. And we've been talking about GST and all the and those controversial issues. I just I think that Labor's barking up the wrong tree. So in saying all of that, given the what we've been through in the not too recent past, mm. is Bill Shorten a dead man walking? I think so. Yeah, I definitely think that. I know I don't think What does he have to do to get back up there? Because really hasn't presented a no. whole lot so far in his well, leadership. The, the the bottom line is Labor has presented policies, but I don't think they've sold their policies well. There's still, you know, a lot of what they talk about is um, why we won't do stuff. Now, they're obviously anti-GST and all the rest of it. Fair enough. The bottom line is they're not really saying, Labor's not really saying how they plan to get the budget back in order. They're saying on the surface, they're saying stuff like, you know, rein in multinationals and make sure that they pay their fair share of tax and all that. And sure, I mean, but the government's doing that as well anyway. But my point is, is that even some of the stuff that Labor is saying is not going to rein in the level of debt and deficit that needs to be reined in to get to move back into surplus. Do you think he's still on the nose due to the fact that he knifed two prime ministers yeah, I th- at the end of the day? I do think he's still on the nose over that, and I think that there's a lot of trust issues there um, with the fact, as you say, he did knife two prime ministers. I don't 
Compared to Turnbull, I just don't think he sells himself as well. He comes across as awkward. The other thing is he doesn't come across as articulate. No. And and that's become an issue for him because what are they it's become a joke. Oh, another Bill Shorten zinger. So that I do think that that's the difference um between Turnbull and Shorten. While while Tony Abbott was there, Shorten was you know, in front, but that's because Tony Abbott had just become so on the nose. And a lot, a lot of it was Tony Abbott's own doing. The 2014 budget was inherently unfair, even though probably some of the changes in that budget needed to be made. Yes. They should have made that case while he was in opposition before the election. Mm-hmm. You know, not not spring it on people, you know, and because I still would think that Tony Abbott would have beaten Kevin Rudd, even if he made some noises that tough decisions needed to be made and spelt out what those tough decisions were, I still think that um, Tony Abbott would have beaten Kevin Rudd. Well, where to for Labor then? If Bill Shorten's not the leader, yeah. there seems to be a I, I whole still, big gap yeah, to gap. the next person. And, and I think that that's what we're going to be seeing. I mean, some people are saying that, you know, Turnbull will be the Liberal Party leader for some time to come, and I do think that that'll be the case. Well, the only thing that would stop Malcolm Turnbull would be Malcolm Turnbull. I'd be very surprised if Tony Abbott reclaims the leadership. I I mean, obviously, Tony Abbott is bitter at what happened. There's no doubt about it. Um, But I can't see him reclaiming the leadership. I mean, the bottom line is, while Malcolm Turnbull's popular and while the coalition's back on on the front foot, the reality is, is that most MPs, they're thinking about one thing, getting re-elected. And if Malcolm Turnbull presents the best chance of them getting re-elected, that's all they care about. That's the harsh reality yeah. of it. So I do think that at this point in time, if Turnbull provide, proceeds with some of the tough decisions that he says he will and um, implements tough decisions successfully, I do think he, you know, he could match someone like Howard in terms of longevity. Longevity. Labor is going to be going to go is going to has got a lot more soul searching to do. I don't think that I'd be very surprised if Shorten wins next the election in 2016. Then who have you got as options? People like Tanya Plibersek. I can't see her really being a compelling leader. I can't see she's been tainted by Gillard as well. Like to a certain extent, yes. Chris Bowen, I don't think is quite ready for it. The only person that they've really got that might offer some sort of real hardcore competition to Turnbull is Anthony Albanese. Now We've known each other, as I said, for about 20 years. Yep. I've worked with a lot of journalists in that time. Mm. You have to be the hardest working one that I've ever come across because you do what you have to do and then you do some and then you do some more. Would that be your advice to young people looking to break into the industry is that you've just got to be prepared yep. to knuckle down yep. and work hard, even it is to get a foot in the door, work for free, do what you can. It is. I mean, look, I hate saying it like, you know, work for free and all that sort of stuff. But And I'm not saying, you know, prostitute yourself yes. type of thing. But um, I think you've got to be prepared to come in and do some hard yards. The and rewards then, come. And the rewards do come. And the most recent example of that and someone who I have great admiration for is um, Olivia Leeming. She's, you know, one of the up-and-comers. She worked at 2UE six months, every weekend, without fail, for free. She came in, wanted to learn how to use the system, how to write a story, how to do a voicer, how to go out on the road. At the same time, she was doing her degree. So she's someone out of the – if I'm talking about most recent times, she's someone that definitely put in some hard yards and got rewarded by eventually getting a cadetship at UE when the newsroom existed. 
Then, you know, there was a tussle for her last year between, even though we hadn't merged yet, between GB wanted her to go across. And I really said, you know, we, TUE needs to make sure that we keep her. Like, yeah. even though, you know, the talk about mergers at that stage was still very much, talk. you know, talk. So I said, it's only talk about mergers and all this sort of stuff. I think that, you know, she is an up-and-comer. We've invested so much time in her and she's invested so much time as well. I think just letting 2GB at that stage just reap the benefits I thought was criminal. Yeah. People that have come so in. So as much as we put the boot into Gen Y, there are a few, there are uh, a few. gems out there yeah. that are willing to yeah. sort of do the hard yards yeah. and not uh, be worried about Instagram followers and, and that's you know, right. Facebook fans exactly. and exactly. Twitter and exactly. all, all of that kind exactly. of thing and, of and worried about being general manager on day one. Exactly right. Now, of course, you know, throughout the, peri- throughout the period I've been around, I've also seen people come and go, people that are not prepared to put in the hard yards or who I've seen over my years of, of watching work experience students, even people coming in wanting to, you know, well, I want to read the news. Well, there's a few steps that you've got to go to before you start reading the news. Where do you see your future? I don't know. Look, I mean, when I, up until before the merger, I was deputy news director with Matt McDonald. So Matt McDonald was running the newsroom and I was uh, his deputy and also running and with the responsibility for running Canberra. And I did think I'd move more into that leadership role. I think I've, I've got a lot more to offer in mentoring people. Absolutely. I think that's where probably my strength lies now. So I would like to, I probably would, I would hope that, you know, leadership type role, you know, is probably where it's at. You still have a thirst for media. You wouldn't cross to the PR side. Look, I've thought about it and I've been, you know, the opportunities have been there. They've been offered in government and I've um, said no on three occasions. You just love the rush. I do love what I do, even though I could be paid more moving into a government role. But then, and this, and that's the other question. You might as well, you're not really doing this, you know, to earn the millions. No. Michael Packey, thanks very much for joining me. No problems, Ralph. There he is, Michael Packey. And as I mentioned in that interview, he is without doubt the hardest working man I think I've ever met in media. If you really enjoyed my chat today with Michael, please let him know by sending him a tweet at Michael Packey, which is at M-I-C-H-A-E-L-P-A-C-H-I. I'm sure he'd really appreciate getting a tweet. You can also follow us on Twitter, which is at MediaMatesAU, and check out the Facebook page. Most importantly, if you could subscribe in iTunes, that'd be great. It means you won't miss an episode. While you're there, please leave a review or rating. That way more people will learn about the show. Until next time, I'm Ralph Tucker, and this has been the Media Mates Podcast. Media Mates Podcast.